Let's pray together. Lord, thank You again for who You are. Thank You for our time of worship so far. And now once again as we open Your Word, Father, we ask You through Your Holy Spirit to be the counselor, to speak truth, Lord, to bring transformation as our minds are renewed. And then, Lord, as we walk in obedience and faith. So, Father, thank You. And uh, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I uh, decided to get my motorcycle license, right? And so, uh, one option you have is to go take a motorcycle safety course. So, I enrolled in that and went to Camarillo High School. And the uh, first day is book learning. And if you pass that test, then you come back and, and you go into their student parking lot and you have a day of of learning how to ride a motorcycle with all these kinds of drills and all kinds of things. And, and there's a principle, a very, very uh, key foundational principle of, of riding a motorcycle, which really applies to cars and, and anything that you're trying to steer. And it's, uh, look where you want to go. Right? Look where you want to go. Meaning, you know, one of the drills we had, we had to go through, we had to go through cones. Right? And beginners tend to fixate on the cone in front of them. But they said, no, you got to look where you want to go, right? Because if you fixate on the object or the obstacle, what will often happen? You'll hit what you're looking at because the motorcycle thinks you want to go there where you're looking, right? Look where you want to go. I, I love this quote. It says, always look where you want to go because if you don't look where you want to go, you will go where you're looking at. Right? Right? Anybody, you know, it even applies to, to you ever learn how to drive or maybe you still do it? You look over your shoulder, where does your car go? Whoop! Right? Look where you want to go, which means be proactive, make a decision, make a choice on where you want to look. Right? It's only, it's only half right to say don't look there. Right? Don't look at the cone. Don't look at the cone. Don't look at the cone. Well, if you focus on not looking at the cone, what are you focusing on? The cone, right? So half of it is to know not what not to look at, what not to fixate on. They call it target fixation. The other half is to know what you're supposed to fixate on too, where you want to go, right? Why is this important? Because in the church, sometimes we need to be open and willing to ask ourselves or let God probe our hearts to say, Hey man, what have you been fixated on? What have you been fixated on all these years of church attendance? And, and that's where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm going to ask you to hang in there. In fact, as I was studying uh, for today's message, one, one pastor, and he used a very powerful word. He goes, you know, teaching on this word fellowship, it's threatening threatening and he says and, and he explained why is it threatening because when you understand biblical fellowship it threatens your private world it threatens your private world which means even as a believer we have our world like i said at the beginning of, of service we we tend to create our box called our world and it's all lined up and included in there is church. 
and our definition of church, our view of church, our opinion about church, right? And along comes God through His Word and says, here's fellowship. And we get threatened because it begins to get too close, right? I call it Jesus comes in and wants to move the furniture. How many of you in your your house got the furniture just so? How many in your house, if something was moved, you would know it? Oh, yeah, right? So in our lives, we get the furniture all set up, even as Christians, even Sundays from 8.30 to 10.15, all right? We get it all dialed in, and our, our, our world is set. And along comes Jesus and says, hey, can you move that table there? Uh, why? I like it over there. Right? It's threatening. This, this idea. And sometimes to, to, to break out of that and to, and to experience transformation, we have to be willing to, to be honest and say, what have I been fixated on? Because quite honestly, this, this idea of biblical fellowship, what it really revealed even in, in my own life as I remember uh, pre-ministry days and 20 years of ministry, biblical fellowship is threatening because we tend in the church to fixate on ourselves. And biblical fellowship is completely the other end of the spectrum. It's others-centered. To love one another with agape love, self-sacrificial love, is so others-centered. Going to continuing care has nothing to do this much with what I get out of it. I go to continuing care expecting nothing in return. That's counter to my flesh, to my sin, to my comfort, to my convenience. Because church is over and I have lunch and I'm tired. Now i got to fire it back up and go there for what? To get nothing. In my, You get what I mean by nothing. Right? It's tiring. It's even more draining. I leave more exhausted because it's give, give, give. Love, 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 love. That's kind of threatening in a sense. Because, Lord, I... Huh. Three Sundays out of the month, I, I enjoy <laughs> my Sunday afternoons are free. This fourth Sunday, ugh, I got to gear up, right? And so this idea of, of biblical fellowship, maybe on the front end, we got to ask ourselves, Lord, what have I been looking at? Maybe I'm at my resistance. We've been in this almost eight weeks since Easter. Maybe one of our challenges to embracing and enjoying enthusiastically the truth of biblical fellowship is we've been fixated on the wrong thing. Us. Us. It's, it, you know, I've, asked, I've even asked several times over the last several weeks, when you woke up this morning and you said, I have to go to church. Great, you're here. Was it primarily about what you were going to get out of it? What, what, what were you looking at when you came to church? Were you primarily fixated on what you were going to get out of your time here? Or were you coming to church fixated on Jesus, fixated on others, and what you got out of it was sort of just a byproduct? Amen? See the difference? But we, especially in in church in America, we've sort of developed this model where we're going to cater to you because we want to attract you, we want to keep you, so we got to meet your needs or you're going to leave, right? 
I, I kind of joke with Bill and Tyler when, when God puts on my heart a message. I'm like, I don't know if anyone's coming back. <laughs> but you keep coming back. <laughs> you know, and Tyler says, they keep coming back, man. Quit worrying about it. Because we understand in our desire to make disciples, which is what we're called to do is make disciples, in our des- desire to follow Jesus, this is our source, this is our authority, and it's threatening. It's just straight up threatening to those of us who like to control our lives. I mean, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Pretty threatening to someone who says, no, Jesus, you follow me. Right? It's threatening. And, and, and it, it, it begins at the individual level, but then even corporately as a church. Look what I put on the, the front of your bulletin there. Came across this. Probably the greatest danger is for a church simply to be centered on itself. Then, whether in its community or around the world, it suddenly starts to pushing itself, not Christ. The greatest obstacle to evangelization, wrote someone, is the church which is preoccupied with its own existence. James Denny wrote, No man can bear witness to Christ and to himself at the same time. See, biblical fellowship even goes beyond. It's even challenging to OVCF to say, Hey, OVCF, are you focused primarily on OVCF rather than Jesus? Rather than following Christ, do we, you know, four and a half years into this, do we know how to do Sundays and Wednesdays and do everything just so? And now it's all about inviting people here rather than to know Jesus. You see the difference? Even as a church, we can get fixated on us. We have to be very careful about that. Okay? And so this idea of biblical fellowship, what I really love is it just destroys all the boxes. And it touches the core of who you are, who I am as a believer called to love one another as Christ loved us. And if we're all doing that, then corporately we're all doing that. You see what I'm saying? And and that's where life comes. That's where vibrancy comes. That's where joy comes. Enthusiasm comes. That's where people who come to visit go, man... They're not just nice people. There's something else going on there. There's love. But it's not even, it's, it's, it's a different kind of love. Why is that? Because we're simply obeying Jesus' commands to biblically fellowship with one another, to love one another, right? So let's turn to 2 Timothy 3. And this is going to launch us off into where we're going to be the next, next few weeks. So we have to be open to asking some honest questions. Lord, what have I been fixated on? 2 Timothy 3, 16. And, and here's the challenge, okay? And, and Bill and Tyler have been used very powerfully in my life and even in your lives because I speak in front of you every Sunday. They know that I like to go. I'm like, God, 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 we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta. And and they have repeatedly told me, it's like, what's the hurry? Just we're not in a rush. And that comes to mind because what we just talked about about what are you fixated on? Is it about yourself? Is it? See, probably we could just go home right now. <laughs> 
And all of us spend the next week asking ourselves that question. What are we fixated on primarily in our walk with the Lord? Is it Jesus? Is it following Jesus? Or is it self? What Jesus is going to do for me, what church is going to do for me, what I get out of it, how I feel, right? That in and of itself right there, if I was, quite, if I was honest, that could be transformative, amen? That right there, if you're honest and you, and you realize, oh, Lord, you're busted, you got me. And if you confess that and if you repented and you said, Lord, I, I want genuine life change. I want, I want to go to Sundays completely fixed on you and on others. That right there will change your life. That will change every other Sunday for the rest of your life. If you came here completely fixed, fixated on Jesus, worshiping Him, and loving others, every church service you attend would be different. Why? Because now you're engaged. Now you become an active participant. Now you're loving others actively. It's not spectator watching me and the team. It's like, oh man, you mean I'm a part of every Sunday service? You are. How does that manifest itself? Maybe every Sunday you go, okay, Lord, how do I do this? How do I become an... Oh, I know. Every Sunday I'm going to go meet one person that I don't know. Yeah, it's that simple. And then you come the next Sunday and your heart's beating. Who is it, Lord? Which one this week am I going to go meet? Oh, what if they don't like me? What if they don't respond nicely? What if they think I'm weird? Go do it. You said you wanted to be fixated on others. I know, Lord, but I don't. Well, but but they all seem to know each other. Just go walk right into the circle. That heart beating and you trembling and you going up and shaking hands. You just had church. It just changed everything. And then, next Sunday, same thing. Who is it, Lord? Who is it? Who am I going to love today? And you go. And it might get a little easier. Or here's the crazy thing. You might go and try to meet someone, and they blow you off. Then what? Oh, I'm never going back. I tried to meet Scott, and he just looked at me. (laughs) You know what? Whether they respond positively or not, it doesn't matter. Because you're loving for their sake. You're like, okay, didn't go so well. Next week, I'm going to do it again. What happens? You are growing. You are being transformed. You're loving. But but what was the key to that? Taking your eyes off of yourself. Taking your eyes off of yourself. Okay? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's where we're going to be over the next couple of weeks. Since Easter, God kind of led us into this, this look at biblical fellowship. Now, I shared with the guys on Sundays that my challenge, I shared with the guys on Sunday night, Delta Group, okay, where we, where we talk about application and we get a little more, a lot more in depth with what does this mean. 
My challenge on a Sunday is because of the dynamic is I can preach and I'm called to preach and teach and I don't get much interaction with you. So what happens is I get you to a point and you're like, oh, yeah, I get that. Oh, yeah, I get that. And how does that manifest? Good sermon. Right? You like the sermon. It was meaningful. It touched you. God spoke to your heart, right? So you give it a thumbs up. The challenge for me on a Sunday morning is you give a thumbs up and then you leave. And then I don't even know what you do with it, where it went. You know? How many even remember it by the time you go to sleep? By the time you get home? I mean, I'm just being honest with my own self, too. How many of us have been attended church faithfully, liked the sermon, da-da-da-da-da, by the time you went out for lunch, it's just gone? Let's be real. Let's be honest. I know that. That's the challenge as a pastor. You prep, you prep, you prep, and you want to be faithful to God's Word, and you preach it knowing, 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 knowing that by lunch... Man, those donuts were really good at church today, weren't they? Those donuts were awesome. And Pat, man, he did a good lead on that song. What was the sermon again? I get that. I understand it. That's why I go to the effort to try to create this, because I know you might run into it during the week. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? I just know I'm saying this kind of poking fun at myself, too, because I've done it. It's not that you're not here. It's not that you don't want to be here. It's not that even you're engaged when you're here. I know you are. Except Mike, who forgets his name, right? But, but the truth is, we may have trained ourselves to get on with life when we're done. Not that, not, not that it wasn't real when you were here. Not that God didn't speak to you when you were here. Not that God might not even change you because of what you hear in the sermon. But in the big picture, what happens to it by the time 12.30 rolls today? Right? And I, I get that. And it's okay. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not, I just know that that's real. That's why we did Delta Groups. That's why you need to be involved in each other's lives. That's why you need each other, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 helps us launch into review, a bit of review of biblical fellowship because it says this, Hey, guys, regardless of how long you've been in church, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, you've heard... Weeks and weeks of biblical fellowship teaching. So now let's get real. So 2 Timothy again says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 17 is super important, right? Because there's a purpose. And it's not to make you feel bad. And it's not to make you feel guilty. Okay, that's not the purpose of teaching, rebuking, correcting. It's for your benefit. Amen. It's so you can continue to grow. But look what it says in 16. The Bible is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training. Okay, so for six to eight weeks, you've been taught biblical fellowship, biblical fellowship, what it is, what it isn't, what it is, wasn't right. We love the teaching part. But 16's got a few more commas. Look at the comma. Rebuking. Mm. 
comma, correcting. Comma, training. Okay, I like the training. So teaching and training, not so bad. Rebuking and correcting. Anyone here look forward to being rebuked? Who just says, Bill, let's get together once a week and just rebuke me, man. Let's have coffee and just, just spend an hour rebuking me. And then after you're done, Ty, what, you and me next hour, and you just spend an hour correcting me. Anyone? Want to join? Who would join that group, right? The, the rebuking, correcting Delta group. <laughs> and yet, if we're not open to what the purpose of God's Word is, which is to rebuke and correct, how are we going to grow? How are we going to learn if we're not even going to allow God to rebuke us or correct us? In the area of biblical fellowship, one of the challenges, fellowship is such a churchy word that we almost think we know what it means. And why do we need to spend so many weeks on it? Because I know what fellowship means. Do you? Do you? Are you willing? Are you willing? Okay, here's another way to, to, to phrase that teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. Here's another, another guy puts it like this. The Bible is useful for teaching us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. How many of you like that a little better than rebuking and correcting, right? <laughs> okay, so let's, let's use those words. As we move forward, I'm going to ask you to be just, just open with the Lord and say, Lord, what has not been right in my view of biblical fellowship? Lord, I need to be rebuked, corrected, right? Correcting is how to get right. So, Lord, how do, I, how do I repent of that? What do I need to do practically, right? Because, believe it or not, fellowship touches the very core of your vertical and horizontal relationship. Everything. Everything. And if you've been fixated on yourself, if you have the furniture just so... That may be the starting point of why this biblical fellowship has been wah 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 wah. Because you're resisting change. Because biblical fellowship is not about me. So everyone say, if you want, it's not about me. Oh, that was. <laughs> Okay, turn to the person. I Watch this. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about you. Go ahead. Yeah, see, with enthusiasm. It's not about you. All right, now with the same gusto. It's not about me. Go ahead. Right. Really? Are you sure? You accept that? That's the, that, that's the heart of, of, of fellowship. It's, it, that's the heart, right? We're to love one another as Jesus loved us. Self-sacrificial. So it's not about me, right? So, so we're going to walk through this. And hang with me because there, there's a reason why we're going to do this the way we're going to do it. Because this touches the core of your life and my life. And this touches the core of this church of who we are and who we're going to be for however many years God has us together. Okay? So let's turn to Acts 2. And in your notes there, 
you've seen I put it, I put some verses statements and then in in italics and 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 uh, quotes a little phrase that just sort of is common. Is common. So we looked at this idea of fellowship being active or passive. Right? And that manifests itself maybe in this phrase, hey, you know what? Fellowship just happens. Fellowship just happens. They have donuts and coffee and fruit. So let's go to the fellowship hall. Let's go to the men's retreat. Let's go bowling. And then, you know what? Fellowship just sort of happens. No, it doesn't. Programming can happen. And, you know, good times can happen. But true fellowship, it's an active word. You have to engage in it. Right? Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Fellowship was something that they, they devoted. It was, they, they continued steadfastly. They persevered. They worked at it. Fellowship required effort. Fellowship requires effort. If you're going to come here on a Sunday, with the desire to love others, to fellowship, you know what? It's going to require effort. It is. You're going to be engaged. You're going to, you're going to experience different emotions. Your mind's going to be in a different place. You're going to be expending. You might leave here exhausted. If you, if you come on a Sunday and you want to love others, you might be spent by the time you leave here in a good way. In a very good way. Right? So, so we learn fellowship is an active word. It's not passive. So here's the, here's the rebuking, correcting part. How many of us choose to actively engage in fellowship in a church? Actively engage versus passively just sort of uh, you know let it happen uh just roll with it uh, 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 uh. no at a certain point you have to make a choice to engage and why is that challenging because you're engaging with another sinful imperfect human being who may not always react or respond the way you would like right doesn't matter though doesn't matter so it's active it's not passive right we looked at this other one. Private versus common can manifest itself with this. My relationship with Jesus is just between me and Him. Any of you ever hear that? Right? Nothing wrong with private devotions. Nothing wrong with a personal faith. Okay? There's a difference between personal and private. I'm trying to get you this. Sometimes, we again, we, we, we raise up new believers that your walk is about you and Jesus, and that's all that matters. And the church and everything that surrounds that is just to you and Jesus, to help you and Jesus, and you and Jesus, and you and Jesus. All we're doing is setting you up to not fellowship, biblically. Because it became all about you and Jesus. It's me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. At the personal level, it's very personal, right? We've all been forgiven at the personal level, right? But look at, look at the verses, Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in what? Common. 
selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. We saw that biblical fellowship is two key words. Common and participation. Common and participation. When you are a believer, you are placed into what? The body of the church. Right? So we have to really ask ourselves, Lord, Lord, have I been fixated on just me and Jesus? Just me and Jesus. And the pastor and and the church and everything is just supposed to serve me and Jesus. It's a very, very troubling place to go to if taken to an extreme. Because who are you fixated on? Self, again. But now, why is it dangerous? Because that fixation on self is clothed, clothed in Christian jargon. It's me and Jesus. I got, I, I got to find a church that, that meets my needs and meets, right? And so it sounds really good that we're looking for things and people and places to help us grow spiritually, but underlying that is self-centeredness. Underlying that is a deep current that says, hey, church, do everything you can to meet my needs. Because it's me and Jesus. When nothing really could be further from the truth. Because the next one says this, right? This sort of this I choose versus I'm in mentality, right? Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians twelve twelve. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Go down to verse twenty seven. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. When did you become part of the capital C church? When you got saved. Is it optional? You're in. But look at this I choose versus I'm in. This, this can I choose whether or not I want to be in the church. And this is where you get that that very sort of familiar popular phrase out there, well, I love Jesus, not the church. I love Jesus. It's me and Jesus. I don't need to go to church. Anyone ever hear that? It's me and Jesus. I love Jesus. I don't need to go to church. But you're in the church. Do you see how, how, how we need to... This one right here, I choose versus I'm in. In American culture, we are so individualistic. So private property, private ownership, private this and private that, that this sounds real easy, but sit there and chew on that. You are in already. See, as a pastor, it's not uncommon that we get what we call church shoppers. And it's not bad. People praying and seeking where God wants them to fellowship, absolutely great. You need to do that. You need to seek. You need to do that. That is radically different than somebody saying, well, 
What do you got to offer? And then I'm, I'm going to, I'll decide if, if I'm in. You see the attitude difference? It's okay if you move to a new town, you seek the Lord and you say, Lord, where do you want us to plug into and give and love? See that? That's different. Versus just, hmm, no. I like your church. Your church. And we start grading churches and rating churches. and Right? And we're trying to choose if we... When you're already in, you've got to settle the issue that as a believer, you're in the body of Christ. And being a part of the body of Christ means you have privileges and responsibilities as part of the body of Christ. Amen? You already do have privileges and responsibilities as a Christian. You might just be trying to sort through, Mark, where God specifically wants you. But you've settled the issue that I'm already in the body of Christ. So, Lord, I've got gifts, I've got talents, I've got resources. Just show me where to use them. You see what I'm different? You see the difference? Versus, I'm not so sure I want to use them, Lord. I'm not so sure. Or, well, Lord, what's the best church for me? See the difference? It's a heart issue. So if we're going to fellowship, you've got to settle the issue, guys. You're already in. So your time, your resources, your spiritual gifts are already at His disposal. You see what I'm saying? This I, me, mine just went to them. <laughs> just became a them. Oh, but I work hard for my stuff. Oh, but I like... And it, it, it's tough, you know. I'll share this with you. You know, even pastorally, uh, you know, we're sort of on call 24-7, so sometimes uh, we get kind of guarded even pastorally that, that home is home, and we try to guard that for the sake of the wife and kids and all that. But lo and behold, my daughters feel that God's calling them to have a Bible study at our house. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm like, oh, here? <laughs> because in my mind, it's my, it's my refuge. It's my time away from all the, You get what I'm saying? Take it all the right way. But, but I kind of was like selfish. And it was like, me? Okay. You know, you smile. That's great. That's so good. You're being obedient. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Can't watch TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? At the core level. At the core level, right? Sometimes God catches you by surprise. When He says, hey, it's not your stuff, is it? I, I, I need your house on a Thursday night because there's some girls who want to get together and worship and do Bible study. Okay, you can use it. I mean, right? But I'm just being real with you. This, this, this tension between I, me, mine, and I'm in, and God, use, use my resources, use my gifts and talents for your kingdom. Oh. Oh. You know, it's that moment where, where we get challenged, right? We get challenged. And, and the thing I love about you guys is, is over the last three, four years, I've seen you just grow in your love for God and love for one another. 
And you know how that's manifested? Agape meals. You go out of your way, cook, prepare, deliver. Driving people places. Driving people places. That can be inconvenient. That requires commitment, gas, time. I mean, the whole thing, right? That's where I'm like, oh, thank you, God. Yes, yes. We're not necessarily selling our things and giving, you know, the early church, but we're using our things, right? Robert opens his house, right? Do you see how it manifests? Because it's his. Because we're already in. And if we're already in and we settle that issue and then we're just making ourselves available to God, He's going to give you opportunity. Now, when He gives you opportunity, He's kind of calling you out. <laughs> okay, you said you wanted Robert to, to use this house. Remember when you, we helped you move in and Robert said, I just want this house to be used for God's kingdom. Hey, uh, Robert, we're thinking about Delta groups. <laughs> How about your house? Sure! Because he understands the bigger picture. His resources and everything we have. The Bible says, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? It's all God's. It's all God's. But we've got to just settle this, okay? We'll just stop with those three. If we're going to biblically fellowship with one another, we have to be engaged. It's active, okay? It's an active word. We have our personal walk with the Lord, but you know what? We all got things in common. It's a commonality around here. Okay? And we're already all in. We're already all in. Right? And we begin, we begin, you know, that look where you want to go. Look where you want to go. And let's just look, we'll we'll close with Hebrews 12, because this is going to give us an anchor as we leave. Hebrews 12. Robert, you can come on in. Hebrews 12.1. So if we're going to biblically fellowship with one another, you know what? We've got to be fixed on Jesus. It begins with being totally fixated on Jesus as our ultimate goal, prize, purpose. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2. Let us what? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we're going to continue to grow individually and corporately in biblical fellowship, we just got to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's where we got to stay. And then obediently and faithfully follow what He calls each of us to do. Amen? We're going to put the screen down. We're going to uh, pray. Then we're going to sing a song before communion. But as we sing this song, very familiar song, here's, here's the challenge for us. Here's the take home. Where have you been fixated on? What have you been focused on, even in the context of church? Has it been about I, me, mine? Or has it been really focused on Jesus? I want to fix my eyes on you.
And then we're going to be available, open, obedient, faithful to what you call me to do as I stay fixed on you. Amen? Robert, why don't we sing that song and then we'll, we'll pray together.